Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Joe from Archery World. Henry with Archery World as well. And today we're going to talk about outdoor stabilization. Um, and we're going to go into the beginning of bear shaft tuning. Uh, so, Henry, let's jump right into it. Uh, <laughs> as far as your stabilizers go, um, you shoot freestyle. Let's go over your stabilizer setup and um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so right now I'm currently running a... Uh, set of conquest stabilizers, the point or the six two fives. Uh, I'm running a 31 inch front bar and a 15 inch sidebar. They don't normally come stock 31, so I typically take a 33 and cut it down to the size that I like. Um, you know, that that's pretty common to do. Uh, you, you can very easily do it. All you got to do is just heat up the end caps and you can end up, uh, you know, pulling the end cap off and cutting it down with a, a normal arrow saw. So, so, um, so as far as like determining that length, once you get your 33 inch bar that you start with, uh, you shoot it a little bit, I assume with the standard weights that you like to shoot and then you'd cut it down according to what? Yeah. So if I notice that it's kind of swinging or swaying or doing any of that stuff, I will typically just start cutting length off versus adding more weight to the front bar. Gotcha. So that you don't have to uh, uh, continue to add weight more and more and more. You can end up with the right balance that you like. Now, as far as the mount on that, are you using a straight mount for a quick disconnect or or are you using a, a downhill uh, of something degree uh it depends on the bow right now i'm running a 10 degree down angle but in the past i've played with both um you know i i feel like when i run the 10 degree i have to use a little less weight than i do on the on the standard just because it kind of it, it, it's hard to explain but if you can imagine kind of a v right when you got your straight bar you're at the top of the v and you've got a lot more movement when you're down 10 degrees you're down closer towards the bottom of the v and so it kind of keeps that sway back and forth a little bit less so it, it helps it stop it pendulums to a a, sud, a stop at the bottom and and makes it move left and right a little bit less correct um, how's that do for feedback um on the shot kick, with the bow kicking up uh does that control that for you too yeah, it definitely helps with keeping the bow down and a little bit more stable versus kicking up. Um, but, you know, that that's not necessarily why I did it. You know, the other the other thing that you can do is you can really fine tune your bar or your bow um, for like up and downhill shots. You can kick it, you know, one side or another and, and really it, it just gives you a little bit more options for adjustability is kind of what I found. Right. Well, I was wondering if you'd bring that part of it up. So uh, what you're saying is, is if you run it straight down, that it, the bow will settle a little bit faster and it'll obviously change the feedback that the bow gives when you shoot it. Uh, but if you run it at a one or two degrees cocked off to one side, you can use that to control a little bit of torque as well. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that with uh, the the, the 10 degree or seven degree downs uh, and all the different degree downs that there are on the market. <clears throat> now, as far as stabilizers, uh, we need to at least briefly talk about this. There's so many good ones on the market 
there's not one that's going to be so dominant that it's the only thing that's ever going to work. There's so many high-end, high-modular still or high-module carbon um, bars. Uh, the stiffness and the feedback that each one provides can be different. So it's hard for people that are shopping for one to find what they want based off of, you know, how the company describes it and writes about it. So what do you do when somebody's asking about bars? Um, I know we talked about this uh, in the past. What's the best way to people experience different setups without having to spend five or $600 every time they want to try something? Realistically, I mean, that you know, you go down to your local range or, or the shop or something like that. So people are going to have bars to try out. And most cases, if you're looking at trying them out, people are going to let you take them off your their bow and put them on yours or or something, you know, to where you can at least shoot a couple shots with them. Now, that's not necessarily ideal, but, you know, the biggest thing is just a bunch of trial and error between them. It, it, it's like you said before, you know, the, I, I feel like there used to be dominant brands out there as far as stabilizers. Now there's so many good brands that I don't know that you could now you can buy more in the dark and feel like you made a good selection where before you couldn't really do that as much because there were major differences between different stabilizers. Sure. Well, a few years ago when Easton came out with the Contour um, CS, I, I got it at a 33-inch bar thinking I would cut it down, but I ended up leaving it at 33 inches. Now, it's the one that looks like a little skinny baseball bat. It's uh, big at the, the bow, but it tapers down uh, like a bat, and then it runs real long, so it's their wind cutter version. I know more and more stabilizer companies are running into the uh, needing to go higher in carbon again and then go with a smaller diameter for wind and, and cross-section on that. Uh, what's Do you know the diameter of your particular bars that you're running? Yeah, so they're they're 620 or 625 thousandths of an inch. So just a little over a half inch. So that's a pretty skinny bar to run out at that length at 31 inches. Um, same thing for mine at the, the 33 inches, but it does, when it gets longer, it does provide a different harmonic or a different feedback during the shot process. Um, so that's important to me when I shoot my bow that it has a certain, um, it doesn't feel static. It doesn't feel like really a lot of vibration. That stabilizer can take up a lot of the bow's movement and vibration to begin with. And I shoot the black nine, so that doesn't have a lot of movement in the bow anyway. But that length and the weight setup I've got makes it feel like it's just dead in my hand when I shoot it. And there's not a lot of elbow shock or anything else. I assume that you're getting the same results with yours. Right. Yep. And, um, and so... On your back bar, um, let's talk about that for a minute. You're shooting a 15-inch back bar. Um, there's multiple spots to mount them on bows anymore. Um, you can mount them on the same axis or the same level as your stabilizer or down below that, either in from the front in some cases where there's a, um, a threaded hole at a 5 24 uh, thread count for the the bar to be mounted in different options or additional weight to be mounted, whether it's at the back of the bow or the front of the bow, uh, where's yours mounted? Uh, I've got mine mounted on the same, basically the same mounting hole as my front bar right now. And so when you do that, uh, what's, what's the benefits to you for mounting it there? 
So I've just always played I've played around with it and I aim better in different configurations, but it just allows me to have a little bit more control over the bow versus the bow having control over me. And what I mean by that is, you know, it, if your bow's an easy shooting bow, I I feel like it it's easy for to allow the bow to take over you. Um, and I, I guess what I mean by that aspect is, is you don't necessarily know when you're making bad shots or changing your grip or changing this or changing that. And that's the bow taking kind of over control of you. You taking control is, you know, maybe a bow is a little bit more temperamental or a little bit harder to shoot, but you're able to, to know when you make a bad shot or, or something like that. And that's kind of what I like is I like to know, you know, I, I have my bow set up in such a way that if I don't get my hand in to the grip, the same, every time I know, if I don't get into my same anchor point, every time I know if I'm doing something different, set up different in my shot, did something different. It, it gives me so much more feedback than if I have like my stabilizers down at the bottom of the bow and running my front bar on the top, like a normal, you know, where it normally should be. And, my bow just sits there and aims really well. Well, I don't like that because again, that's when the bow can kind of take over you. Right. Well, and I get that a lot. The, uh, now as far as when you're describing those different things that it could, uh, uh, show you faster when it's mounted on the same plane. Um, I can't mount it there, um, all on every bow that I have because it just, I can't get it to hold at all. And maybe it's an inconsistency that I've got, but I do feel like I shoot better uh, when I mount it lower because uh, at my skill level, I still need, uh, I still get enough feedback with it mounted low because, uh, you know, I've, I've had my shoulder separated a few times on my bow arm and, and uh, I already struggle holding the bow still to begin with. So even with my mounted lower, which typically settles it faster, it's still moving a decent amount. Now, when you talk about that feedback, what does as far as you, Henry Bass, what is the, um, what flaw does it catch the fastest? Now you, this is important for people that are amateurs that are trying to learn to shoot better. Uh, as a pro you, everybody thinks, Oh, well, he don't have any flaws, but everybody has a flaw, right? So if it's going to catch something for you, like a grip or an anchor point or something like that, and expose that to you, uh, so that you can mentally fix that, what is it that it catches for you first? I would say that mine, my, my number one thing that I struggle with is getting my grip in the consistent spot each time. So that's what, uh, that's why I end up doing it that way. Um, it's just because then it ends up allowing me to, to know when my grip's not in the same spot. And then the other one that I, that I commonly mess up is anchor point. And the reason why is because I don't anchor on the, underneath my jaw i anchor on the side of my cheek to try to relieve string or facial pressure into the string and so sometimes it ha, you know sometimes it ends up floating around a little bit gotcha well and that's the reason I, i'm asking you that question is is because <clears throat> we see it all the time where a person comes in and and uh 
hundreds and hundreds of people that we help that that you know their grip's not perfect but you try to help them get it a little bit better and a little bit more neutral so it's not providing any more torque or at least it's providing the same amount of torque every shot and uh, people morph that grip uh, over the course of a week or two or a month into something uh, of its own beast so repeating the grip is one of the hardest things I think that you can do in archery and and I think the second is just like you said, anchor point, um, because when those two are out of whack, it cha- it causes the bow to torque more. It causes misalignment to happen more, which is why we're talking about stabilizing uh, the bow. So uh, it can absorb some of those uh, small inconsistencies um, through stabilization. Now, that doesn't mean that it will solve the problem. It means it will just help hide the problem. And that's what stabilizers do. Um so as far as feedback on yours, uh, um, I know you like a certain feedback. Um, talk about that a minute and, and talk about why it's important to play with the different weight configurations and until you get the bow to shoot the way that you want, respond the way that you want. Um, what's more important to you? You've already described that it's not the hold, you know, how, how good it holds on the dot. Um, it's, it's a combination of things. Go over that. Right. I feel like, the number one factor to, you know, like my setup is mass weight. I'm running 40 ounces of weight total. I got 20, 20 on the front, 20 on the side. Um, I haven't changed that configuration since 2013. So I know for me, it just kind of works. Uh, I ran that, you know, basically through everything indoors, outdoors, I don't change stabilizer configurations like most people do or weight configurations from bow to bow or uh, inside to outside. I just run the same thing throughout everything. The only thing I will change is how much my my sidebar is in or out from the bow. Um, But for the most part, relatively everything relatively stays pretty close to the same. Um, You know, what I found with that is it just it forces my hand and my grip, you know, the reason why I set it up that way is it forces my grip into the same spot every time because I don't have any other option, but to grip the bow the exact same every time in order to get it to level out. Um, so, you know, that was kind of like the key factor of my stabilizer setup there for me. Uh, part of the reason why I run so much front weight is because I used to have a problem of really popping out of the top. So, you know, back in my Matthews days, I used to run a 60 pound limb on the top and a 70 pound limb on the bottom just to try to keep from dipping or, you know, from, from going out of the top. And then the other thing that it saved was dipping down. Um, you know, so there were some things that, you know, I kind of played with, with previous bows that I don't have to now because I've kind of got a stabilizer set up that I've ran for so long that works really good yeah well and that's that's important so um the and that's kind of cool that you're talking about the what you change on your bow most of the time is the position of the v-bar or the back bar um so and i want to give a, an example of myself um when i was in iraq in 2004 i i'd kind of i broke my thumb a little bit and and when i came back and i started shooting my bow again which was uh something that i i thought would remain the same as the nerves grew back in my thumb um, the right way. What happened was, is, uh, I couldn't grip the bow the same way that I was before I left. And that caused me over a period of years, probably four or five years total 
my V bar got closer and closer and closer to the bow, uh, running almost straight back, uh, over the last few years, um, because my grip had changed and, and that kept the bow balanced for me and it was working well and I was still shooting fine. But what happened, uh, that I really noticed this year in Reading is, is I got it so close to the bow that I was shooting flat and downhill really good. But if I shot uphill, it was easy for me to shoot out a little bit more left than normal because that bow weight or the weight on that stabilizer was so close now to the axle that it caused the bow to pendulum or twist to the left as I shot. And I'm a right-handed shooter. So that makes me a candidate for a V bar. So when I, a V bar, meaning like a bar off of both sides, so what I did was when I got back from Reading, as I noticed that in competition, I, I put a V-bar on the bow and I ran a stabilizer out the other side and, of course, distributed the weights differently until I got it balanced. But it almost immediately solved my left and right and it allowed me to push my V-bars back out so the bow won't twist as much during the shot. Um, so <clears throat> if you're running your bar really close to the bow on flat ground, it's probably not going to be an issue, but if you start shooting up and down hills, specifically up hills, you want to, uh, the bow, uh, changes a little bit. Um, it could, if you're seeing that you're shooting out left a little bit more and the weight is too close to the axle in the back, then you might, um, try a V bar to solve that. Uh, and I hate, I hate the double bars, by the way, <laughs> I didn't want to do it, but I knew I was a candidate for it. Uh, so I figured I'd try it, but it, now I'm starting to really like it because my results are, are better and I'm not shooting out left near as much as I was. So. Right. Yeah. I I've tried the V bars before too, and I've wanted them to work because I feel like the principle behind them and the concept is, is so much better because you're keeping everything kind of in line. And for me, they aim a whole lot better and everything, but I just felt like, like for me personally, just the way that I grip a bow, I get so many more inconsistencies out of it that it just, it, it wasn't that fun for me to shoot. No. And, and it, I don't, like I said, mentally, I don't like it, but, but the results are there right now. So I'm going to continue to shoot it until I don't see the results and then see if I can figure out uh, what to do from there. But having the options in archery are pretty nice when you're shooting freestyle to be able to kind of go through these different setups and to find what's working for that bow for that year for um, your mind and everything so that you can shoot well. And uh, so the uh, to kind of finish on the stabilizer um, conversation a little bit. So we went over your set your setup. We went over how you run your bar in or out in the back and the, the length of the bar in the front and everything. Um, how do you use that when you're tuning your bow for your sight? Do you change your sight radius? I know you usually like to run it in, but if you get the right stabilization, do you change your sight radius at all? Or uh, what's your thoughts on that? No, I, I typically will keep my sight pretty close to the same as where, you know, I, I don't let my stabilizers dictate my sight radius or any of that stuff. And so some people talk about that as they come in. And they talk about it often. We've talked about it on other podcasts is, oh, I should run my side out because it gives me a longer sight radius. Well, there's goods and bads about that. Uh, the longer sight radius is what they're after, but they see more movement in the sight, which they have. Uh, the scope seems smaller through the peep, so they might have to adjust their iris on the peep so that they can uh, keep it circled or centered better. 
Uh, it also creates more, to- uh, the torque is exaggerated on the shot um, because of the mechanical torque that the bow has. Uh, and running it in also allows you to shoot further distance because the, the degree of angles, uh, as you expand the sight, extend the sight out, that degree of angle take up, takes up more movement. Um, so I run mine pretty close in and that's because I anchor pretty high and, uh, comparably, and it changes how far I can shoot the bow. If I don't, um, do you have, what's the distance on your current bow that you've got right now running it in the way that you are, what's the distance you can typically shoot out to the furthest? Um, I haven't tested that with this particular bow just because, you know, just getting ready for reading, I only needed a hundred yards. So I just made sure that I, I could max out at a hundred. Um, but I would say normally my max distance that I've ever been able to reach with any of my target bows has been about 110 yards. You know, I, I, I can't get too far out there cause I don't have, you know, my, I, with anchoring on the side of my face, I don't get as far, you know, my peep height's not that high. So I don't get as far a distance out there as, you know, other people that anchor underneath their jawbone or or somewhere else do gotcha well now let's go into um i don't know that there's much more we can say about stabilizing right now without specific questions that people may have so if you have any questions feel free to reach out and we'll give you the how to do that at the the end of this segment but let's talk about bear shaft tuning a little bit um and how that can benefit i know it's going to take more than just this particular conversation to, to kind of address it uh, for a lot of people. But when people, a lot of times because of the internet, you know, specifically um, that they think paper tuning is the best way to tune their bow. And in a shop, there's a couple of things that shops can do that are going to get you on the right track. The fastest uh, one of them is bringing it all back to factory tune um, so that it's meeting the factory standards as far as the center shot of the rest and the position in the screw hole where the the rest mounts, which is called the burger button, uh, where that goes. But then when you go to paper tune the bow, sometimes that causes things that need to be moved, either the center shot of the rest, sometimes the cam. um, Prime has different spacers that you can shift on in their cams so that the cam can shift right or left on both the top and the bottom. Uh, you've got the deadlock system from Bowtech in their new bows too, that it can be driven. The cam can be driven left to right. Matthews has top hats. PSE has plastic washers. So all those things can cause that bow to change or in the cam position to change to get a better paper tune. Now, if we take that and put it in the shooter's hands after they're, we've got it paper tuned or they've got it paper tuned uh, and they want to shoot bare shafts, that can make the bow even more forgiving at distance for them and so if they're shooting um you like to paper tune your bow or not paper tune you like to bear shaft your bow at around 20 yards and not further and why um i just found that it's not beneficial um i feel like you waste a lot of time trying to go a little bit farther when you can just get things done you know, a little quicker and, and get to actually shooting and seeing if things are working or grouping or anything like that. Um, you know, typically how I'll start my setup is bear shaft all my arrows through paper to get them all to bullet hole. And then I'll work on, once I get a couple of them fletched up, that's when I'm working on my bear shaft tune. 
um, between those two steps, I found that that creates a really forgiving bow. You just have to kind of work it and tweak it a little bit once you start getting out to distance based off your tendencies. Right. And so an example is, is if you, um, do you even shoot your bow through paper before you start bear shaft tuning or do you just go straight to bear shaft because you know your factory setup's going to be so close that bear shaft will just take you to the next level faster? If I'm setting up brand new arrows, I will bear shaft my bow through paper. If I'm not, and I've got arrows already, then I just go, sh- I, I just skip straight to the, uh, just straight to the bear shaft tuning. Right. So, and it's important to understand a lot of, there's a lot of factors that go into when you shoot an arrow, what's going to make it forgiving. And like you were talking about, when you're getting a new set of arrows, you'll bear shaft every single through one through paper. And then, and you can index the knock into different positions and cause that arrow to come off the string differently every time. And people ask, well, how is that possible? Because they're the same arrow. Well, they're not the same arrow. It's a different arrow. And since those arrows, basically when you make a carbon arrow, it's coming off of you know anywhere from five to eight spools of carbon that looks like yarn essentially. And it's fed through. If you've ever watched like a how it's made video on how you make climbing rope, uh, or how rope is made, um, it feeds off of those spools and, and goes through a machine and it goes over mandrels that weaves that carbon together in different configurations that allows it to basically get a pot heat treated with epoxy and fused together. And because of that, there's going to be some inconsistencies in the carbon and inconsistencies in the glue, although the process or the manufacturers are really good now uh, there's still some sliding consistency, so it can make the spine or stiffness of the arrow change in different clocking positions. So if you're getting your bear shafts to tune through paper, that's going to put you down the road further when you go to bear shaft or when you go to shoot your bear shaft at 20 yards. Um, and then the idea is if your fletch shaft and your bear shaft are hitting the same spot or as close as you can get them together, uh, at 20 yards, that that's going to make it really forgiving. So if your bear shaft with no fletches can fly equally as well, maybe not as forgiving, but equally as well as your flood shafts, imagine how your flood shafts are going to shoot. If you make a little tweak, it's going to control it even more. Right. And so um, when you're shooting your bear shaft, um, what's the most common thing that you see when you're shooting it as far as elevation, how to control the elevation um, of it, if it's compared to your flat shafts. So typically if you're hitting low with your bear shaft and high with your flat shaft, you're going to move your uh, rest up. If, and then if you're low with your bear or low with your flat shaft, high with your bear or low with your fletch, high with your bear, you're going to do the exact opposite. You're going to lower your rest. Okay. And, that's just kind of like typical, but I have had some bows that react opposite. And so it ends up just being kind of a bow to bow situation, but there are plenty of, inf- you know, there's plenty of information all over the internet as far as, um, you know, what, what to do when you're looking at uh, bear shaft tuning and things like that. So, 
Well, and this is why it's important for the person that's going to be shooting that bow to bear shaft tune their bow at 20 yards themselves, because if the guy has a, or the gal has a lot of heel in the bow, um, it's going to make that bear shaft rise a little bit further than somebody that puts a high wrist on it. And so the tune for them may be slightly different. And if they're consistent with their grip, they should be able to get that to fly really consistent. Exactly. Uh, and the same thing for right or left torque. Uh, that's why paper is kind of the, the stopping point for the pro shops because they're not going to be able to bear shaft your bow if they don't have the exact identical grip and torque that you have. Um, and that's important. Now, sometimes people get caught up on, and we see this from time to time, they get caught up on, I want my bow to shoot as forgiving as I can, so I want to bear shaft tune it, but they're not as a consistent of a shooter as they want to be or they think they are. Uh, so they spend days and days and days trying to bear shaft their stuff when they should be spending days and days and days trying to locate the best grip for their hand so it's the most consistent. Um so we, how, how do you recommend that somebody does it or when, when would it be best to re, uh, bear shaft tune versus not bear shaft tune for somebody that's getting into the sport? That's just going to kind of be up to them to decide. I mean, nobody can really tell you when you're ready to do something, right? I mean, it's kind of, you just got to start experimenting with it and stuff. But like the reason why, like, you bringing up how personalized it is is the exact same reason why we don't and i don't think there's hardly any other shops across the country that offer to bear shaft tune people's bows right because it just doesn't make sense from a shop standpoint because we all know it's so individualized but as far as when somebody should or shouldn't do it i mean you know i i, I can't speak to everybody's shooting abilities so i don't know you know, there, there's no set timeline or guideline or anything like that saying, you know, you got to shoot dime size groups at 20 yards to be able to bear shaft tune your bow. You know, I, th I think you just have to have a consistent shot and be able to shoot two shot or, you know, shoot groups at 20 in order to be able to do that. But I don't know, you know, like I said, I just don't know that you can necessarily put a uh, when you when you should or shouldn't on that particular thing sure well that makes sense i mean obviously uh you, we want people to shoot their bow as good as they can possibly shoot it but uh just to practice and good good fundamentals is a good baseline i think uh as they get into those things instead of expecting i'm just starting and it's week one and and um i need it to bear shaft but they don't have the necessary skills to do that yet um so the when the one thing to consider as you're running the if we take the scenario we just gave about the high or low shaft and how you move the rest obviously an option is you can move the knock set is uh, or the d loop as well uh, but if you move the d loop that's going to affect your peep height so um, just be considerate to that you might have to reposition your peep uh, sometimes it's small enough increments that you won't ever notice that it's moved and you can still achieve everything you want. Sometimes you need to reset the D loop and the peep side and the rest and kind of start over at a neutral position again. Um, but since we were talking about cam movement, the cam can move right or left inside of the, the limbs to help 
take away torque or add torque, depending on what a person's grip t- tells them to do. Um, as you move the knock set up and down the string, the knock set doesn't stay perpendicular to the cams. It starts to follow the direction that the cam happened to be shifted to. So you can go from, if you raise your knock too high or too low, you can run into right and left knock travel more often than you realize because there's a spot where you will shoot that knock position the best. Now, that's tough to play with. That's why the most of the companies want you to set the, the rest up in the burger button, uh, that hole where the rest screws in, because that's a pretty neutral position where that's supposed to cross over, where it's not moving right or left and the knock travels controlled. So as far as that goes, um, that's a trial and error thing too. When you set yours up, let's go over one more time. I know we've talked about it. When you set your bow up, Um, you try to set your rest up for your outdoor arrows so that the arrow shaft, let's talk the bottom of the arrow shaft. Um, Where's the bottom of the arrow shaft in relationship to the burger button as far as height goes? Honestly, it's all dependent on bow to bow. Um, Right now I've got the bottom of the arrow shaft through the center of the burger hole. So I'm running a little bit higher knocking point than normal. Um, but in years past, I've ran center of the arrow through the through the burger or the top of the arrow through the center of the burger hole. Uh, the, the one thing to keep in mind is the higher up you go with your arrow shaft, the more critical your bubble becomes. Gotcha. So and some people need that feedback. Some people don't. So um, and then some bows tune differently. So I, the reason I ask you is kind of a loaded question. I ask you where it is, and and I expect you to say what you did, which is it means it's bow to bow. So there's a common spot you can start with, and then uh, for instance is is how many times on a a bow uh, once you get playing with it and you're shooting the same bow for a year, um, do you play around with that? Do you just boom get it done and it's done, or do sometimes you move it? just a slight amount uh, as far as relocating the knock set and the bottom of the shaft. Do you relocate those sometimes if the bow's acting a little torquey and, and lower them a little or raise them a little if you're getting fletch contact? What, what's your thought on that? So, again, it, it, uh, it's all kind of like bow to bow on, on what I'm doing. But, like, for instance, if I get out practicing and I feel like that the bow's reacting too sensitive to bubble or, or to – you know, tilting the bow one way or the other, I will try to lower it, but some certain bows just need to be up higher in order to tune, you know, um, it, it literally just all depends on, on that particular bow and how everything's set up. Cause sometimes I found that the being up a little bit higher is, is a little bit more forgiving. And then there's other times where it's not. And same with kind of being a little bit lower in the grip. Sometimes it's a little bit more forgiving being lower and sometimes it's not. So each bow is so individualized. And I think as you change and progress as a shooter, some of your tendencies kind of tend to change. And, and you know, it's just always a constant battle of trying to figure out what's correct for you. And, you know, the only way that you're going to get to that is a bunch of trial and error. There's no set program to saying that this is going to work for you because it works for everybody else. No, like my shot style and shot process and the way my bows are set up are so personalized to me 
that that's not the starting point that I recommend to everybody else because I know my stuff's kind of off the wall, but it works for me. Like I don't recommend people running one to one stabilizer weights like what we were talking about earlier. Usually a one to two or a one to three ratio is more common, right? Right. And right. so my stuff's so individualized towards me that it, it it's not a good starting point for other people. Um, you know, kind of the same way with how I cut my arrows or or fletch things or do certain things. You know, I, I like to fletch my arrows with the vein as far back as I possibly can. Well, that's not going to work for most people because most people would have to change their anchor point in order to get that to actually group good because they're going to get so much vein contact on their face. Well, I've already taken that into account and changed my anchor point. So my anchor points off the side of my face instead of under my jawbone. So again, it's, it's not something to recommend just because it takes a lot of work and a lot of practice to get an, a consistent anchor point off the side of your face versus under your jawbone. Oh, yeah. Well, and I talked to I shot with uh, Donnie Thacker a few years ago in Reading, and I know he runs his fletches back really far, too. And and the same exact conversation that we're having now we had then while we were at Reading, yeah, which is um, he, he knows it'll control the arrow a little bit more, but he doesn't get the fletch contact on his face. So it's not an issue. Um, so but the further back you get the the veins the faster it'll steer the back of the arrow even if it's another eighth of an inch back but the common spot that the veins are fletched today and what most people need is the common spot because they'll get flesh contact on their face and that will change the horizontal knock travel on the bow and sometimes the vertical knock travel on the bow and the key to what we're saying guys is as we try to get the bow tuned you're trying to get the least amount of movement out of the back of the arrow as possible and still shoot it forgiving because if it's got a lot of movement in the back of the arrow because of an inconsistency from contact or from um, being uh, following the string up at an angle too far um, it's going to make the bow more critical to shoot so you're trying to find the sweet spot that's why every bow even the same brand, same model uh, may tune slightly different because you put the guy or gal behind it and their grip is going to be different and their anchor point is going to be different. And that needs to be addressed as we, we uh, try to tune a bow. So, well, Henry, do you have anything else as far as like um, bear shafts and then where you spend the more of your time practicing outdoors uh, when you're, you've got your stuff set up? All right, let's imagine it's all perfect and, and now now you're shooting. What do you do as far as like where do you think you get the best results for practice? I honestly practice a distance that I feel like I can control the shot I, and I know where I'm going to hit. And so for me, I spent a lot of time shooting 50 meters because I was on the U.S. team for eight years and and that's just what you shot was 50 meters. And, and I feel like I've got a bar set at 50 meters that I know I can hit. And if I don't, then typically something is off with my setup. And so for some people that might be just 20 yards, some people that might be 30, 40, 50. I mean, if you're a really good shot, you can move it out to 60, 70 yards. But for me, I choose 50 meters and that's kind of where I do all my like, if a bow's going to shoot, it's going to shoot good at 50 meters because that 50 meter feet around is not the easiest round, especially if you've never shot it before. But for me, it's just kind of like 
I know that if I can shoot, you know, above a 350, I'm going to have a decent shooting bow. And what a 350 is, is you score 36 arrows in a 10 ring target and out of the, it's out of 360. So missing 10, 10 points at 50 meters, um, you know, and, and so for me, it's just kind of one of those that that's kind of my standard. So before I got ready for Reading, I shot the other bow that I was going to shoot there at 50 meters. And I felt like I was hitting good, but I'd get one or two flyers every once in a while. And I was trying to shoot a smaller bow. I was trying to shoot that Citation 34, but I knew that I hadn't practiced a whole lot and I was switching over from a 40 inch. And so the reason why I went to a 36 the day before Reading, literally the day before Reading, like that Wednesday, was because I knew I didn't have enough time to get comfortable with 30, the 34. And it was a smoother transition from going from the 40 to a 36 than it was a 40 to a 34. Now, for like the top pin challenge that's coming up and, and potentially field nationals, I'm going to try to get my 34 shooting because I know ultimately at the end of the day that that's what I'm going to be able to probably shoot better at longer yardages. Gotcha. Well, and we'll talk about the axle length in another podcast uh, and how you practice with that. And um, that's a good segue to end this one, which is you went from a 40 trying to get your 34 inch set up, which is contradictive to a lot of um, people's minds when it comes to the longer axle is supposed to be more accurate. So why wouldn't you shoot that at safaris because it's got, you shoot out to 101 yards. Well, in your case, and it's, uh, there's uh, some benefits to shooting the little shorter bow. And so what used to be everybody shot a 40 or 42 inch bow at Reading. Now, if you look across the board, I bet there's 10% that shoot anything over a 38-inch bow. Most everybody shoots a sub 38-inch bow uh, there because they get better results. And we'll talk about that uh, next week maybe uh, and then go over how you're leading up to the top pin challenge uh, that's coming up and go over that shoot and, and what you plan on doing with that 34 to get it hammering. So, um, we appreciate everybody listening uh, to us. If you have any questions or feedback, you can always email us. Um, at, at, I'm at joe at archeryworld.net. We'll try to include any questions that you have on the uh, next podcast. And Henry, give them yours. Yeah, so the email is going to be uh, battleground at archeryworld.net. And you can message us on our Instagram or Facebook page. The Instagram is archeryworldproshop. Um, if you guys got any questions, concerns, or what you want to hear next or anything like that, don't feel free to reach out to us. Thanks guys. All right. All right. Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Mm-hmm.